Well, good morning. Wow. How am I going to top that, right? That was the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> and we really hope you've enjoyed the youth takeover this morning. And we have done teen takeover before, as Pastor Brent said. But, man, we found the X factor. The cuteness of those little kiddos was awesome. And just the vulnerability, right, their transparency to get up here and, and kick the walls down, do all these crazy things. It's awesome having that uh, childlike faith. You can see it all over them. It's so cool. Uh, we also hope you enjoyed uh, the announcements. These boys did an awesome job, right? Elijah and Will did a great job carrying on the torch of their dad. The Sheridan boys, that was great. And then also we had, uh, like Pastor Brent said, a few of our teens mixed in with our worship team here. And uh, that is part of our youth worship that they uh, that we get to enjoy on Sunday nights at youth group. Um, but seeing the youth serving God with a willing heart, really it jumpstarts my faith. It gets me excited, renews my strength in God, seeing them serving God with reckless abandon. It's so great. So we do hope it was a blessing to you. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Gary. I'm the youth pastor. And I'm excited to have the privilege and the opportunity to be able to share my passion and also the challenge with you this morning. Now, before we get into it, (laughs) we all know Gary can't do this on his own, so I want to ask God to lead the way. So let's open in prayer. Dear God, Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And God, what you continue to do every single day is your mercies are new. Lord, I pray that this challenge impacts all of us as we open our hearts to your words. I ask you to please speak through me, Lord. Give us your understanding and insight as we come before you, and and I pray that you are glorified above all else in this service this morning. In your precious and holy name, amen. All right, well, as a youth pastor, and I know Janet, wherever she may be, as well as a children's director, we want to see our kids and teens have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We also want them to understand their purpose in life. Now, this is countercultural because the culture is always pushing fortune, fame, and success really as the motive for living. And if you can't keep up, then you're losing at life. And now we also see that it's uh, um, finding yourself. That's another big push, finding yourself in whatever it may be that makes you happy. Now, this is really nothing new. It's just something that's maybe enhanced a little bit because we live in a technological age. Or maybe we see Satan get a little trickier with his tactics from generation to generation. However, no matter what era we're talking about, it really is amazing to see kids and teens see clearly and understand what Christ truly did for them. And then when they understand that, they begin digging in and they grow in their knowledge of him through his word. And as we heard this morning, the kids in kids' church just went through that three-year process from Genesis to Revelation. And as a parent, I got to tell you, I'm overjoyed and so grateful for Janet and all the leaders over there in Faith Kids and all that they do for our kids' ministry. But you know, the Bible is not only to tell us what, what to and what not to do. We know the Ten Commandments encompass that. It makes us aware of it. But that's not what it's all about. Scripture reveals the whole reason for humanity, why we're here on earth, and why everything around us was created. And so as the Gospel Project, as you saw that video there, as it emphasizes Jesus Christ is our rescuer, and the Gospel shows up in every passage of Scripture. It all points back to our desperate need as sinners and for him to redeem us and restore us back with our Heavenly Father in that relationship. 
And that's the redemptive story that all mankind needs to hear. They need to hear it. So this isn't just for kids this morning. It applies to us adults as well. When we understand who he is and what he's done for us, we really gain a better appreciation of who we are and our need for repentance and our desperate need for the Savior. And the Bible is alive and it changes lives. We read in Hebrews 4, 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Now, as believers... Hopefully we understand the importance and the value of the word of God in our lives. We understand there's an absolute truth that we're to live by and adhere to. And really, this is that moral truth of right and wrong that applies to every man, no matter who you are. But we have an issue these days, (laughs) thanks to a cultural shift where people no longer recognize or really see the need for truth. And this really leads, it's it's a slippery slope that leads to a godless nation. Now, the great and well-known Winston Churchill, you might have heard of him before, he once said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them, they pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Isn't that so true of our world today? Now, I have a project going on at my house right now. It's been going on for far too long. I need to finish it up. I think my wife would agree with me on that one. Uh, But it's our front porch, and it needed new posts. So I went over to Home Depot. I bought four, four by four, eight foot long pressure treated posts. I know all you guys are like, oh, I hear you. The girls are like, what? (laughs) But four by four pressure treated posts. And so I brought them back home. uh, And then I took my tape measure. And this conforms to a universal standard that's actually established by the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. It's just a regular old Stanley tape measure. And I took that tape measure and I measured out what that post needed to be. And it needed to be six foot, nine inches long. So I took my tape, put it on the post, marked it, cut it with the skill saw. And after I cut it, I can truthfully state that that post is six foot, nine inches long. And that is because I went off my standard, my tape measure. And really, after I cut it, I don't think anyone would argue with me if I held that tape measure and showed you six foot nine to the post. That is because truth conforms precisely to the original or the standard. However, we're now seeing culture create its own truth or standard in which we're to live by. So if I cut this post to six foot nine inches long and somebody comes walking along and says, nope, I feel like that should be seven foot two inches. That's how I feel. Well, then we would have a problem because the standard just became subjective. And anyone can choose their standard. But that's not the case with the tape measure, as you know. And that is certainly not the case with the truth. You know, if you deny gravity and you walk up to the edge of a building and you jump, your belief about gravity is not going to change the truth about it. That truth will become apparent as you're free falling to the ground. And that's how gravity works. And that's how the truth works. Now, at our youth group, we love playing basketball. These guys know what I'm talking about. We love playing basketball. We have a little basketball court out here um, in front of the youth building. We have some pretty good games. We have some one-on-one games. We have some five-on-five games. And, and for the most part, most part, everybody understands the rules and the fouls. 
But if you've ever played a game of pickup basketball <laughs> where everybody makes their own set of rules, you get a ridiculous broad range of what people think are fouls. Some people go with the, the no blood, no foul rule. You guys know who you are, right? Others go with what's similar to the NBA. So if you get within a foot of me, then it's a foul. <laughs> but there has to be an objective set of rules that's across the board for everyone who's playing. If not, it turns into absolute chaos. And so when moral truth becomes a matter of opinion or, or preference or, or someone's feelings, practically anything goes. And you can imagine how dangerous this can be. But this is what we're seeing in our world right now. In fact, truth is now subjective. And we see it can change from person to person and really day to day. Now, I recently talked about this in youth group, and I've since hung up these little posters. You'll see on the back screen behind me here. Hung them up in the youth building, and each poster has a single word on it. Tolerance, respect, there's dignity, there's moral judgments, personal preference, and acceptance. And for each word, it has two definitions. One is the cultural definition of how the world defines that word today. And then the other one is the biblical definition of how God defines the word. And I have them hanging in the youth building so the teens can go in there and see the stark contrast of what the culture is teaching compared to what God's telling us in the Bible. You know, our younger generation and often our older generation now, we're, we're seeing they, they understand certain words and beliefs in a cultural understanding. And the thing is, is, is the, the biblical understanding, they're seeing it's different. They're, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're seeing it in a cultural understanding and that is giving them that, that okay to make truth subjective. It's very important because we need to teach the tr- the kids the truth, the biblical understanding. So we have the cultural and the biblical. Our teens need to know the biblical understanding because you think about it, their school, their peers, and the entertainment world are all teaching them that cultural understanding. And, and really, if you think about it, that's leading multitudes away from Christ, and that's simply not okay. Well, this morning I want to focus on a passage in the book of Ezekiel. And in this passage, we're going to see God is giving the prophet Ezekiel a, a message to deliver to Israel. And this message is about their coming demise, and their coming demise because of their disobedience to God. And the passage singles out certain people. He says, the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people of the land. So pretty much everyone. They're all guilty here is what we see. And God's telling Israel they're vulnerable because of their moral decay and their spiritual failure. Doesn't that sound familiar today, right? Moral decay and spiritual failure. Now, Ezekiel names two grievous sins in particular. That's the shedding of innocent blood, the injustice and the worship of foreign gods. And these are sins that Moses commanded them to avoid. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, which if you do read through the whole chapter, you'll see there's some horrible and detestable sins, some offenses that they had committed against God. But I do want to start in chapter 22, verse 17. And this is to just shed some light on the seriousness of their actions. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because all of you have become dross, 
Therefore, behold, I am going to gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As they gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the furnace to blow fire on it in order to melt it. So I'll gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I'll lay you there and melt you. I'll gather you and blow you on you with the fire of my wrath, and you will be melted in the midst of it, as silver is melted in the furnace. So you will be melted in the midst of it, and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. You may be thinking, Gary, this is a tough passage for teen takeover, right? A little rough. This sounds pretty serious. God's not happy with the way they've been acting. Now, dross, that word, simply means worthless or rubbish. And in this context, we see it's when you, you melt down those, those materials, either silver, tin, bronze. And the stuff that you melt down actually has worth. It has value. It'll get used again. The dross is kind of that sledge at the bottom or the impurity, something that's, that's just a waste. So you'd basically get the dross and throw it away. It was rubbish. I picture it kind of like eating a steak. (laughs) I get my steak and I get my knife and fork and I cut out all the fat and all the gristle. Throw that away, right? You eat the good stuff. Dip it in A1 and eat that and enjoy it. But Israel had become such a wicked nation, they were considered rubbish to God. But what was it that actually led to such moral failure? How did Israel fall so far away from their God who, who actually delivered them from the slavery of the Egyptians. What was it? Well, if we take a look in verse 26, I think this reveals a big part of it. It says, her priests. Now, this would be pastors today. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between holy and the profane. And they've not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. Or we could say they didn't teach the difference between cultural and biblical. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Now, he starts with the leaders. Starts with the leaders, and then it trickles down to the people. The priests didn't teach them right from wrong. Instead, they allowed the people to understand words in a cultural understanding and actually encouraged them to live in that way. And because of this, the people didn't understand the worth of God because they didn't understand the word of God. Now, I can say with confidence... I've sat under Pastor Brent's teaching enough. <laughs> I can say with confidence that he teaches truth from the pulpit. And I can say with confidence that uh, we teach truth in youth group, whether it's from me or any of my leaders, whether it's from up on stage or leading a small group. And I can say with confidence that our children's ministry, Janet and her leaders, are teaching truth to our kids. But that one hour or so a week is not enough compared to the 40-plus hours a week They get from school and entertainment. And this is where it hits home, literally. (laughs) Truth needs to be taught and reinforced in the home. Our youth need to hear and see God working in the lives of their parents and other adults here in the church body. So that means even if you don't have any kids or your kids are grown up and out of the house, you still have a role to play here in the church body. In fact, God's given you a golden opportunity to impact our youth here of faith. Now, I want to read you a quick statistic. This is on uh, on kids who attend church regularly. And this is according to LifewayResearch.com. It says 69% say they were attending at age 17. Now, that fell down to 58% at age 18, then down to 40% at age 19. Once they reached their 20s, it went down to 33% who say they attend church regularly. Now, hopefully, here at Faith, our stats are a little better than that. 
But if we hope to impact that next generation and, and build a lifelong faith, we have to equip them to look at everything through biblical truths. Now, as we drop down to verse 30, God says this, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. You know, back in Bible times, cities had walls built around them, and that was for protection from the enemies. And when that wall was breached, the city was vulnerable to destruction. Now, the only way to secure it was for people to risk their lives by literally standing in the gap of the wall and fighting the enemy. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) That is crazy in the middle of a battle. Things going on crazy. They would risk their lives and jump in the gap of that wall, risking their own life for others. That's an intense position that would require courage and bravery. And that's what they would do, though, because they understood the importance of keeping the enemy out at all costs, even at the risk of losing their own lives. Now, this doesn't make as much sense for us today as it would for that audience back then. However, the same lesson really does apply. Today, we are surrounded with a nation that disregards God and his word. The walls around our children's lives are breached in so many different areas. Watch TV for five minutes. Or I'm shocked when I walk through a clothing aisle at the store. You can see some agenda or message pushed upon our youth. Follow your heart. Love anyone you want, accept others, be yourself. They're bombarded with a cultural influence. And unfortunately, really, we're even seeing this in churches today that are leading them in the wrong direction. That could be by misinterpreting scripture or teaching love as accepting all behaviors. The fact is, there are holes in the walls. And so this morning, I actually want us to ask ourselves, are we a verse 30 people where God is calling us to stand in the gap for our youth Protect his holy name, and yet he has found no one. You know, when I was a teen, my dad and I didn't always see eye to eye. Imagine that, right? Big shocker there. (laughs) With teens and the dad, don't always see eye to eye. Um, I'll admit, I was a punk. I didn't accept Christ and really understand God's word until after high school. Now, I still went to church. I memorized verses for Awana. (laughs) But it didn't really sink in and make sense. However, I always knew where my dad stood. There was no guessing that. I knew he was a Christian and he believed and taught the truth. But what really had an impact on me wasn't just that he believed it, but he lived and practiced it. Not perfectly, but he tried. We all know words only go so far and actions speak much louder than words. And I praise God. He gave me a dad who lived in a way that was consistent with what he believed. You know, we as parents have a unique role in the spiritual life of a child. And that role, whether good or bad, can be or will be filled, good or bad, depending on how we fill it, right? That's our role, though. And like I said, I didn't always appreciate my dad in high school. So if you have a rocky relationship with your teen, don't be defeated. (laughs) You may come out of it. But because he stood in the gap and he taught me right from wrong and what Jesus did for me, I eventually came to know Christ as my personal Savior, and I'm so grateful for it. Now, back to this passage, I think in the general understanding, God calls all of us to stand in the gap and be that righteous man who's willing to go against culture. And actually, we see this many times in Scripture, where God calls one man and uses one man to stand in the gap for their people. We could talk about Aaron, Moses, Daniel did, Paul, and many others, really. God honored their prayer and intercession on behalf of many. And as we all know, God ultimately produces salvation in the life of his people. 
but we're called to have faith as we pray and intercede on behalf of others. Now, here's where it gets serious. If we don't stand in the gap, we get to see in verse 31 the result of what took place for Israel here. <laughs> it starts out with the word thus. Thus is dangerous because that's the result or consequence of their disobedience. Thus, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Fortunately, we are privileged with having the knowledge of the past written down in Scripture, so we don't make those same mistakes. We can make the right decisions today. And God's calling all of us to stand in the gap before him. You may be saying, Gary, what exactly does this really mean? And how can I stand in the gap? Before we get into it, though, first of all, we need to face the fact that we can't stand in the gap on our own. We can't do it. We can't just grit our teeth in the middle of war, run up to that wall and stand in the gap and start fighting. We're eventually going to start wearing out and be exhausted. And we see that in our own life when we try to do it on our own. We get exhausted and we can't do it on our own. So back in our text. Back in 2230, it said, I searched for a man among them who'd build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land. So I would not destroy it, but I found no one. God didn't want to pour out his wrath. He wanted to show mercy as he always does. God didn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But he looked for someone and didn't find anyone. Now, Ezekiel's our author here, right? So imagine God telling him, and Ezekiel was a righteous man, but he's like, God, no one, are you sure? <laughs> Jeremiah was prophesying in Babylon at that time. And we know Daniel was alive, and we know his three friends were going through the fiery furnace ordeal. So there were righteous men back in that day. And we actually see Isaiah failed in a similar search. Here in Isaiah fifty nine fifteen, it says, Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. You know what this tells us? This tells us the gap is much larger than just a man standing in to fill. Our text in Ezekiel shows the problem with the human condition. This gap can only be filled by Jesus Christ. We can't stand in the gap because we're sinners and we're lost on our own. But he's our rescuer, rescuer, and here we find the gospel message in this passage. You remember how we define standing in the gap? Those people would risk their lives by literally standing in the gap at the cost of their own life for others. Jesus Christ stood in the gap at the risk of his own life. In fact, he willingly laid down his life for us. He paid that debt we could not pay, and he is that one mediator between man and God. Of course, we ruin the relationship because of our sinful nature, but he redeemed us and restored us for his own. So we see this is a vertical gap between man and God. And because Jesus redeemed and restored us, we've now been given grace so we can stand in the horizontal gap for others here on earth. So now, with that in mind, and remembering that grace that we've been given, I want to give us three things of what standing in the gap looks like, and really how we can live this out in our lives. Number one, we live by the Word of God. I know that's the typical Sunday school answer, live by the Bible, right? We live by the Word of God. Psalms 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, as we attempt to stand in the gap for others, it's important to notice that breach in the wall, 
where the enemy is coming in. They have gotten through that wall. But even more so is to be able to get up to that wall and identify the enemy before they come in. We must know God's word so we can keep the enemy out of our lives and our children's lives. You know, the best way to recognize counterfeit doctrine is to be thoroughly familiar with the truth. And, of course, we're responsible to train our children and teach them God's words. Proverbs even says, train up a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the more they learn about God's word, the more they're going to identify that enemy and realize what's truth and what is Satan's lies. The great A.W. Tozer once said, the unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. So the enemy must be identified at the wall. Now, it's really interesting here, though, because unbelievers might recognize something's wrong and they may be looking for that gap to stand in. They may occasionally stumble up and find that gap. But without God's word, they're not sure exactly what's the enemy and what to and what not to let in. And this is the importance of God's word. It leads us to recognize that difference, which we all call discernment. So parents, as we take a stand against cultural teaching, I'm not saying we have to protest and get louder on Facebook. (laughs) No one has to know your whole political stance and everything that encompasses. What I'm saying is we must teach the Bible in its entirety to our youth so they'll know the truth. And we must live our lives in the manner that's consistent with that teaching. And the thing is, is when our lives are in step with the word of God, Jesus Christ shines through. So number one, and now we move on to number two, we stand out. If you've ever seen a Marvel or a DC movie, right? There's always someone who steps up and is the hero and everyone takes notice of their good deed. (laughs) Well, standing in the gap may not get you that, that popularity vote like Captain America. However, it'll be an opportunity for that lost world to see you stand up for God. If we are in the middle of a battle right now, okay, middle of a battle, we're talking just a vicious, violent battle, and somebody ran up with a sword and stood in the gap of that wall and started fighting, we would all take notice. And we would either think, wow, he's brave and I want to be like that. Or wow, he's stupid and I don't want any part of that, right? (laughs) The more we allow God's word to permeate our lives, we'll stand out to unbelievers. You know, my son Brady, he's only four, but he loves putting salt and pepper on his eggs. Every morning he asks me, can I do the salt and pepper? So occasionally I'll let him. And the pepper's easy enough. He sees that pepper, you know, kind of get on there, and he knows when to stop. The salt, he just shakes that thing like crazy. Doesn't realize how much salt's coming out. Now, the response on his face when he bites into it shows how much he put in. But God tells us to be the salt of the earth. You don't have to put it on heavily. (laughs) A pinch of salt will do, right? A little pinch of love, a pinch of kindness, pinch of long-suffering or patience, that'll make us stand out to the world. In Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells the crowd and his disciples, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but right up on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, I remember a few years back, we are actually getting ready to uh, to paint our kitchen wall. And we both, Chelsea and I both liked the color of the kitchen wall. So we wanted to find the one that was closest to the existing color. 
So I remember going, I think it was Home Depot and Lowe's. We ended up getting a bunch of those color swatches, which they have way too many options, right? There's like 5,000 out there. But I would usually grab one with confidence saying, this is definitely it, Chels. This is the color right here. Well, we'd bring it back home and I would put it up against the wall and it wasn't even close. It would stick out like a sore thumb. You could easily see the difference when it was side by side with the wall. Now, when it comes to keeping our children from cultural teaching, kind of seems like complete isolation really from society would accomplish this. And as a parent, I have to admit, I am tempted to do this, hide my kids away from the world forever. But that doesn't guarantee, just sheltering our kids doesn't guarantee a good understanding of God's word and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the closer in relation we are to the world, the greater contrast can be seen. We should stick out like a sore thumb with the way we live our lives and that truth that we're guided by. So we should be rubbing shoulders with unbelievers so they're able to see the hope we have. And then as we all know, we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. Obviously, I'm not saying you should expose your children to the world. Please, parents, don't misunderstand me there. But a child who's living for God is going to stand out from his classmates and his teammates. And this right there is going to give them an opportunity to share their faith, which is going to go leaps and bounds in their trust in God. So number three this morning, we follow the Holy Spirit. You know, in the late summer to early fall, right around this time, I shoot my bow quite a bit. And this is practice for the upcoming hunting season. I get excited, right? But it's the target I shoot at actually has different size bullseyes on it. But none of them are bigger than that. It's about three or four inches. And if you've ever hunted, you know it's important to hit your target well. I've, I've uh, had to learn the hard way before, and it is not fun at all. But if I shoot an arrow and I miss the bullseye, then it might have been close, but I might as well miss that target altogether. And it's amazing, too, if you've ever shot a bow, just moving the left arm or the right arm the slightest bit can change the trajectory. trajectory that's always a tough word trajectory of that arrow and it is not going to go where it was meant to go our lives have a purpose which was set in motion by god he has a will for our lives and until we find our purpose which is to glorify him we're simply lost you see our culture misses the mark because they do not have the holy spirit guiding them they're being led by their flesh and so we should not be surprised when we see the word love misconstrued and manipulated to work in favor of personal preference. We were all created for love. And without the Holy Spirit, the culture comes up with their own understanding of it. In fact, John fourteen seventeen says, The helper is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Without the Holy Spirit and God's word, our culture is going to miss the mark every time. And this is the importance of teaching our youth God's word. Because the word of God and the Holy Spirit work together to bring about Christ in our lives. Now, this may be surprising to you, but every thought, every action, every motive that we have can can reveal whether we're being led by the Holy Spirit or our flesh. (laughs) Oftentimes, I feel myself start welling up with anger. I start living selfishly. And I can easily identify that I'm being led by the flesh. And it takes me down a road I do not want to go. It's an awful place to go. However, when I'm led by the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how I can see my intentions. I can see my motivations. 
And I even have a sense of purpose knowing that I'm saved and redeemed by my Savior. And then my perspective changes from the here and now, right where I am, to eternal. I think of how I can glorify God. Christian maturity doesn't mean someone who's been saved for three decades, right, and has never missed a church service. Get this, Christian maturity is recognition and recovery. We need to recognize when we're being led by the flesh and then recover by asking for forgiveness and repenting and getting back in God's will. Well, I know we have a lot of kids in here this morning, so I don't want to go super long if I already have, but I want to start winding down and close down. We need to know this, though. This is the bottom line this morning. We're all able to stand in the gap for others because he stood in the gap for us at Calvary. None of us deserve the grace that we've been given, but he loved us enough to take our sins upon himself. Thank God he stood in the gap for us. So if you're a believer, you're justified. You were set apart for Christ. You're set apart to serve the Lord and Savior. So live every day knowing that you're redeemed by his grace. Now, if you've never accepted Christ, I want you to know that he stood in the gap for you as well. And he offers you that same gift of grace. He created you, he loves you, and he'll continue to pursue you. He wants you to recognize and call on his name today and repent of the way you've been living and really begin a new life with him, a new fresh start. And parents, parenting's not easy. I don't have teens yet, so <laughs> I don't know how that is with teens. But parenting's not easy, and there's no guarantee our kids are going to follow God. However, because Jesus died on the cross for all of us, we can now accept and share that gift of grace with our children. And our teaching really is countercultural, because our main point in life is to glorify God and praise his name for redeeming us and share that news with others all around us. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, you ultimately stood in the gap for us so that we could receive your grace. And Lord, I pray that that grace we've received, Lord, that we shared it, that we share it with our children, but not only our children, but with others. And God, we ask for opportunities this week to come apparent to us to where we can share that grace. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for that blood that you sacrificed on the cross for us. You love us enough to give your life for us, and you stood in that gap, and we are forever grateful for it. In your precious name, amen.